Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 141, The Invasion of Canada. Last time out, the War of American Independence began with the skirmish in Lexington and Concord, and we followed it through the creation of the Second Continental Congress to the British expulsion from Massachusetts in March 1776. But now I want to look at the failed attempt to make Quebec the 14th state of the American Union. Although, perhaps we should be more nuanced in evaluating its success. Quebec, and Canada more generally, would not join the United States. In fact, the war led it to become very anti-American. But it would distract the British and helped to bring the French into the war. It's a question we'll revisit at the end of this episode. It's very easy to draw a distinction between the 13 colonies and Canada, but it must be remembered that at this stage, they were all British North American colonies. It was quite natural that the Americans would look to expand their scope and their activity. Nova Scotia was of little interest because it was both scarcely populated and it contained Halifax, but their eyes were instead drawn towards Montreal and the city of Quebec, hoping that the French Canadians would join them, or at least not aid the British. The memories of the wars against French Canada were still fresh for many. Then there was the Iroquois Confederacy to bear in mind. The Six Nations could all be easily supplied from Quebec, Montreal and Detroit, so there would be potential benefits for the Patriots to take control of Quebec, and with the British focused on Boston, they sensed they needed to act swiftly. The first overtures were made in 1774, at the time of the First Continental Congress, and French Canadians were invited to send delegates to the second, although the governor, General Guy Carleton, managed to prevent most people from hearing about this. Over the winter, the Patriots sent missions north to sound out Quebec. They found a couple of hundred English-speaking migrants who would support the Patriots, and that French Canadians, perhaps numbering about 80,000, were not generally keen on the British. They thought the immediate priority was capturing Crown Point and Fort Ticonderoga, which would open the Lake Champlain Corridor to the St. Lawrence. Gage was aware of the importance of these forts, and was warning the commander of Ticonderoga to prepare for attack in March 1775. He urged Carlton to reinforce them. But before anything could be done, the forts fell into Patriot hands, thanks to a force led by Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold, both of whom claimed credit, and started calling for a move against Montreal. Allen claimed he could take Montreal and Quebec with 1,500 men, while Arnold thought that it would take 1,700 to take Montreal alone. However, neither was given the opportunity. Colonel Benjamin Hinman of Connecticut was made commander-in-chief at Ticonderoga, and Arnold started planning to take Quebec from Maine. While the New England Patriots were thrilled, 
The capture of Ticonderoga and Crown Point made Congress uncomfortable. They wanted a defensive war, so ordered that the captured cannon be removed and Ticonderoga be returned to the British, but this order was ignored. As for Canada itself, Congress wanted Canadian support but didn't want to invade. An appeal was sent on May 29, 1775, appealing for the French to join, but the French Canadians were unimpressed. Having never had an elected assembly before, the priority didn't carry much weight. They also knew that their rights had been protected by the Quebec Act, an act that was denounced by the First Continental Congress in the Declaration of Rights. They also knew that the Americans had not been friendly to Catholics in the past. Over the next month, word arrived in Philadelphia of the victory at Bunker Hill, and arguments that the presence of Patriot soldiers in Canada would inspire the locals started to carry weight. On June 27th, Major General Philip Schuyler, the future father-in-law of Alexander Hamilton, was given command of Ticonderoga and Crown Point, with the authority to invade Canada if he thought it was a good decision. Schuyler was not a good choice. He was a very cautious general with little practical experience, not somebody well-suited to leading a daring operation in the model of James Wolfe or Benedict Arnold. Having already lost the element of surprise, Schuyler waited weeks at Ticonderoga until he was satisfied that he had prepared everything. It was diligent, but sometimes a general needs speed instead. Carlton was given the chance to defend Canada, and it made it impossible for the Patriots to complete their aims before winter set in. Finally, the second-in-command, General Richard Montgomery, started to move 1,200 troops while Schuyler was at a conference in Albany on August 28th. The invasion soon stalled when they reached Fort St. John, protected by 700. Schuyler waited for more reinforcements till he fell ill and returned to Ticonderoga in mid-September. Montgomery was in command of the invasion. Montgomery, now with a force of 2,000, besieged Fort St. John, the strongest British force in Quebec. Fort St. John held out for two months, while Montgomery attempted to recruit Canadians, who were mostly indifferent and content to let the British and Americans fight it out and cleared the way to Montreal, while Carlton tried to raise a relief force. After taking another fort that was a key link in Fort St. John's connection to Montreal, the commander saw that the situation was hopeless, and he surrendered rather than allow his men to starve. The terms were generous, and the fort was captured on November 2nd. The road to Canada was open. A much more daring figure than Schuyler, Montgomery pounced immediately. Montreal could not be defended, so Carlton moved down the St. Lawrence to Quebec, where he found Arnold waiting with a second American expeditionary force launched from Maine. That summer, Washington had been considering his options with Canada, and thought that if Carlton was focused on Montreal, 
A surprise move from Maine could capture Quebec. Arnold was eager and was given the command of just over a thousand men, including one Aaron Burr. Arnold, the 35-year-old Connecticuter, then extremely loyal to the Patriot force, led a Herculean effort to cross a foreboding wilderness full of obstacles, arriving at the Plains of Abraham, where Montcalm had once been defeated by James Wolfe, on November 14th, hours too late to take the city, which had been reinforced by the Lieutenant Governor. Arnold went to meet Montgomery. After capturing Fort St. John, Montgomery advanced further north. The snow had started to fall, and it was a difficult march. But they reached Montreal, and the city surrendered without a shot being fired on November 13th. From there, he moved towards Quebec, and met up with Arnold on December 2nd, about 20 miles from the city. Montgomery, the senior commander, took control of the combined force. They set out on December 5th and placed the city under siege. Montgomery issued threats that he would storm the city, but Carlton would not surrender. He had no reason to. There had been time to thoroughly prepare the city for defence, with months of supplies and the promise of support from England in the spring of 1776. And he was protected from the Canadian winter, while Montgomery was literally out in the cold. An assault was launched on the morning of December 31st. Four assaults would be launched. Two diversions and two real ones by Montgomery and Arnold. Arnold's was successful, although he was injured in the attack. Montgomery's force was less successful. Montgomery was fired at with grape shot that hit his head. A bullet in the neck in Quebec. He was killed instantly, and his force retreated. Able to now focus on Arnold's force, the Patriots were pushed back. It was a massive blow to the American war effort. Arnold assumed command and fortified the American position on the Plains of Abraham, but Carlton wisely remained in the city. Arnold waited for three months, enduring an outburst of smallpox. A thousand reinforcements were sent to the Canadian theatre, and a commission, including Benjamin Franklin, was created to win the hearts and minds of the Canadians. But it was too late. The Americans would make other attempts to take Quebec, but they could do nothing. And then finally, in spring, reinforcements arrived from Britain under the command of General John Burgoyne. Then a series of disasters beset the Americans. Their commission did not win over the Canadians to the Patriot side, and the presence of Burgoyne encouraged them to stay quiet. Ravaged by smallpox, the Americans retreated, firstly back to Montreal, then back down to Crown Point in July 1776. The attempt to capture Canada was over. The idea would come up again a few times later in the war. Washington only seriously considered it again after the French renounced their claim as part of the Franco-American alliance of 1778, but to all intents and purposes the campaign was over. They would never move their forces that far north again. The idea still hovered around, 
and there was even a provision in the Articles of Confederation that would allow Canada to join the Union. This brings us back to where we started the episode. Was the plan to invade Canada a good one, and was the invasion a success? My personal take is that the plan was not a good one, but the invasion was an accidental success. Canada was too different. It had very different traditions to the American colonies. Perhaps after 50 years of British rule, things would have been different, but at this moment, the Canadians were not aligned to American political culture. The invasion was based on faulty assumptions, and even if it had been able to capture Quebec in December 1775, would the Americans have been able to hold it? Had they held on? Would the influx of French Canadians have destabilised the Union? An early America that had Quebec and Montreal as two of its key cities would certainly be very different. But, that said, the invasion caused the British to form two separate spheres of command, which, over the course of the war, would lead to some very bad planning, and would ultimately help lead America to victory. Which is why, even though it didn't capture Canada, the invasion can be considered something of an abstract success. That's where we'll leave things for this time. Join me next time when we move the narrative into 1776 and get close to the Declaration of Independence. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.